Amen. I was thinking about professional athletes this week. And when you think about a professional athlete, you really think about the best of the best. And one of the reasons why a professional athlete is the best is because they have fine-tuned their ability to discipline themselves to become the best. I thought about a few athletes this week. I thought about Jack Nicholas. I really like this picture of him. That's why I picked it. But I found a great quote from Jack Nicholas, and he said, The more I practice, it's amazing, the luckier I get. Why don't you just let that sink in for a second? The more I practice, the luckier I get. And we know that that's not really what's happened. We know that he has fine-tuned hitting a golf ball, and that that's why he is so good at it. Think about a guy like David Beckham, who's probably considered the goat of soccer. Maybe a few guys have tried to pass him here lately, but a lot of people consider him the goat. And he said this, my secret is practice. I have always believed that if you want to achieve anything special in your life, you have to work, 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 and work some more. Sounds like it takes repetition. Sounds like it takes a lot of practice. And even more as we're going through this series on training and righteousness, we must understand that we will never get anywhere in life without discipline. This really goes for any area of life that you're in. Unless you're just one of those people who are just gifted at something, we really have to strive and we have to fine-tune our abilities to get better at something. But it's even more when we think about spiritual things. Because our passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4, what we've looked at every week, it's up on the screen, it says this, If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in either way. For it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Let's pray this evening. God, again, we come to you. We just pray that as we are looking at these disciplines in our life, as we look at these uh, things that we need to train at. I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you. I pray that you would open our hearts to see where we may be lacking in certain areas. And Father, I just pray that you would um, show us what it is to be a friend uh, to someone else. So God, I just pray that you would speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we get started this evening, as we consider friendships, I want you to think about your modern day home. Think about your home. I know I will probably be showing my age with some of the things I'm about to say, and that's okay. These readers should also show my age, so we'll just leave that where it's at. But I think of about a time in my home, growing up as a little boy, and we shared a duplex with my grandma. It's one of the coolest things ever. Uh, she lived on one side of the duplex, we lived on the other, and you could get to Grandma's house through the closet. There was a closet that we shared. 
I kid you not, this was the coolest thing ever. So if mom and dad wanted a date night, they would say, hey, go to grandma's. And we would literally walk through the closet and we were at grandma's house. It was great. It was fantastic. We loved to go. Uh, I was always grandma's favorite, so we'll just leave that where it's at. Um, One of the things that I remember growing up is that my grandma always had an already baked, very moist, very delicious chocolate cake on the kitchen table. And a little covered dish where you could see it, but you weren't allowed to touch it. We always wanted cake, and she always said, no, that's for when company comes over so that we have something to share. I didn't like that so much. Um, But it was for when company shows up. Believe it or not, back in the day, it was normal for people to just randomly stop by someone's house. I know if you're under 30 in here, you're like, I've never heard of that. That's such an odd concept. But it's true. And so, let's fast forward to 2023. Just a few weeks ago, the kids were not in school yet. We were home on a Friday. Friday's my day off. Friday is laundry day. I'm really excited for my children to be back in school so that I can have laundry day by myself. I love it. I love laundry. I don't know why. It's weird. I know, but... But the other day, we were, a few weeks back, we were at home, and there was a ring at the doorbell. And what did I do? I immediately look at my children, and I go, <laughs> very quietly pull out my phone. Who's at the ring doorbell? And of course, it's a salesperson. And what did I do? Didn't answer the door. Didn't invite them in. I didn't want to hear their spill. Um, and it's amazing. They left, and I went about. They kept making noise, and I kept doing laundry, and it was just a great day. What has changed? I want you to think about what has changed in that moment. Because we also see changes in our homes specifically. Growing up, I had a huge living room. We had a huge kitchen. We had small bathrooms. We had small bedrooms. We had a huge front porch. We had a great big yard with a fence around it. All normal things. Think about today. Now, if your house is different, then so be it. But the average house today, bigger bedrooms, bigger bathrooms, smaller living spaces, smaller kitchens, little to no front porch, little to no yard. And why? Something has switched. And this mentality of who we are as a culture. Our master bedroom right now in my house is bigger than my bedroom was growing up. Let's just put it that way, all right? Just as a show of how things have changed. Our society as a whole is becoming more and more secluded in the world today. Today's home reflects the values of individualism. Today's home... Uh, reflects the values of people just wanting to be private people. They don't want to go outside. They don't want to go do things like that. We don't want to just randomly stop by someone's house. That would be weird, right? When I, a group of men that I meet with on Fridays, we were reading the book that Landon talked about last week. We're reading uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man. And there was one thing that really struck out to us when we read a chapter on friendship. And it says, 
about 10% of men, now granted this was written several years back, about 10% of men truly experience a true friend during their lifetime. Why don't you just let that sink in for a second? About 10% have a true friend. I'm not talking about a guy who you can watch the game with. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about someone you can go to roses with and hang out and have some conversation. I'm talking about a true, authentic friendship. We've been trained to believe that we don't need friends. We can do it on our own. Um, But a friendship that I'm talking about is the friendship that you find like in 1 Samuel chapter 18 where it says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, I know we hear a verse like that and we automatically want to think, well, that's kind of, uh, that's really weird, Corey. Two guys having my soul was knit to him. That's just weird talk. Now, If you want to think that Jonathan is sissy or soft, I want you to go read 1 Samuel chapter 14 and see how he acted as a a warrior. And you will see that there's nothing soft or sissified about Jonathan. But it says about him and David that he loved him as his own soul. And as a reminder, as we talk about friendships uh, this evening... I don't want us to be mistaken on the very important errors that we can uh, think about as we go through disciplining or training ourselves for righteousness. The first one is legalism. We want to avoid the idea that we are training for godliness in order to earn something from God or in order to earn salvation from God. That's not how that works. We, we can't do anything to earn God's favor as far as that goes. Uh, Training for godliness is an overflow of what God's already done in your life. And point number two is laziness. Because I think in the realm of friendship, uh, and while I'm going to pick on the guys and say the guys are terrible at this and the girls are a little better, all girls aren't excluded. Because I know that a lot of times we can have a lot of face time, but... A true, authentic friendship that will hold you accountable for things. Uh, Most people don't have that type of a friendship. And because we believe this lie that I really don't need to do anything about it. And we become lazy and we become apathetic about those things. And these disciplines that we're talking about are to drive us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. We want the world to know... We don't earn God's grace after we've cleaned up our lives, but that we come to God as we are. And when he has done that work in our life, when he's taken out our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh, it's then that we begin to discipline ourselves to become more and more like Jesus. So as we think about friendships and the nature of these friendships, we have to first and foremost start with God the Father. So let's look at the character of God. First, point here is we were originally created to experience a relationship with God. Go all the way back to Genesis. During the creation story, God creates man in his own image, in his likeness, and he walked with him, and he had fellowship with him, 
Even when you think about Genesis chapter 2 and God creates man and he says to him, it's not good that man should be alone. I will create a helper for him, a helper that's suitable for him. So man and women, Adam and Eve, we were created experiencing this perfect friendship with God. And as we see throughout Scripture, uh, Abraham and Moses. Here's your, here's your next point. Abraham and Moses were called friends of God. When we think about the father of our faith and how his relationship started. Abram was not a friend of God. It was quite the opposite. He lived in a pagan land and a place that had idol worship all over the place. And yet God calls Abram out, changes his name to Abraham, and he begins this relationship with him. Genesis chapter 15, the Bible tells us that he believed the Lord, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, if you look at that verse when James is quoting it in James chapter 2, he adds, Abraham was called a friend of God. God was a friend of Abraham. And Moses, he had a very unique relationship with God as well. I love reading the Exodus stories. When Moses would go to God's people and he would lead them out of, the, of slavery into the promised land. He was leading them to the promised land. And the nation would set up camp. They would set up their tent. They would stand outside the tent. And they would watch Moses walk off a distance. And he would go and set up his tent away from the camp. This tent of meeting. And it says everyone just watched intently about what was about to happen. And it says that Moses would go into the tent. And it says this cloud would descend upon his tent. And it would say that they would meet together face to face. Exodus 33, 11 says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses uh, was God's friend. God was a friend of Moses. Before we move on, uh, I think this is important to have to say this, but I don't want you to think that we have a friendship with Almighty God like we have friends here on earth. We can't miss the fact that God is holy, 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 and we are His creation. The friendship that we have with Almighty God is only because of His great love for us. And I know if I was talking to the teenagers tonight, I kind of added this, but God is not your homeboy. God is not your bro. Uh, sometimes you'll hear a teenager say, um, you know, Daddy God or something. I'm just like, no, you're missing who God is. And I don't want us to have a light uh, thinking about who God is. He is holy, 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 and we are his creation. And the only reason why we can have a relationship with God is because of his great love for us. So we were originally created experiencing this relationship with God. But let's look at our sin nature, the nature of, of sin. We have broken our friendship with God and with one another. We have broken our friendship with God and with one another. We chose to do things our own way. You go all the way back to Adam and Eve. They had this perfect relationship with God. Perfect. I know sometimes Adam and Eve really get a bad rap. Especially Eve. Eve really gets a bad rap. When we think about, uh, man, they really ruined it for us. 
I hope we don't think that it would have been any different if we got placed in the garden and not them. I hope we're not so self-centered that we think, man, I think I could have done it. I think I could have lived a life of obedience. We couldn't have. I believe the outcome would have been the same. That's my own personal belief. But the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, comes to Eve and says, did God really say? And we believed the created thing rather than the creator. We messed it up. Serpent says, for God knows that when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. I think Landon made a perfect point a few weeks ago that the response should have been, we are made like God. We are made in the image of God. But they chose to believe the created thing rather than the creator. They disobeyed God. They believed a lie rather than what God had told them. And I say we have broken our relationship with God and with each other because if you think about the creation story and immediately after sin enters in and God comes looking for them and they hide themselves and he finds them and they begin this conversation, what happens? Adam looks at God and says, that woman you gave me, she made made me do it. And then what does she do? That serpent made me do it. And they immediately start blaming one another. It immediately causes sin, not just between God, but between each other. We also see this passed down through their children. You know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. And why? Next point, we are selfish to our very core. We really do like ourselves. My pastor growing up used to make a comment, um, and he would say, show me your checkbook, and I'll show you what matters most in your life. And you're like, what's a checkbook? I don't even know what that is. But I remember him saying that very specifically in many sermons. To me, I would tell you today's life, it kind of applies the same way, but I would say, show me your screen time, and I'll show you what matters most in your life. Show me your screen time, and I'll show you what matters most. Because we really think a lot about ourselves. It's our sin nature. We are self-centered to the core. We are selfish to the core. Flip over to James chapter 3. I have a passage I want us to see. See if this sounds familiar when we think about our world. James chapter 3. Starting in verse 16. It says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who would make peace. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. 
Think about that statement. Our passions are at war within us. These selfish ambitions, they do exist. And the friendship with God that we had is broken. That sounds like a pretty dire situation, a very hopeless situation. We had it good. We messed it up. But thankfully, we have been shown grace and mercy through Jesus the Son. So let's look at the work of Jesus. Number, The first point there, Jesus restores our friendship with the Father. Just encourage you, if you were not here in the summer, we did a series over uh, looking at different attributes of Jesus. And Ron preached a great sermon on Jesus being our friend. And if you weren't here that Sunday and you didn't get to listen to it, I just encourage you to go back and listen to it because that sermon really hits on... I could just take his, his whole sermon and insert it right here on this work of Jesus and how he's our friend. John 15, 13 tells us that no greater love has anyone than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. This relationship, this friendship that was broken in the Garden of Eden, it was God's plan to restore us back into a relationship with himself and the plan centered on Jesus Christ the Son. This passage in Romans 5.10 says it perfectly. It says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. So Jesus restores us back into this relationship with the Father. He says, We have been reconciled back to God. Jesus' perfect life that he lived, that we were unable to live. Jesus' death that he died on the cross, that we deserve to die on the cross. Brought us back into a relationship with God the Father again. It restores what was broken. And that is the heart of God. He loves us so much that he would go to the greatest lengths. And whatever it would cost to be back into this relationship with us again next Jesus is known as a friend of sinners I know there would be a lot of people in the world that would say well Corey you don't know what I've done you don't know the evils that I have committed you don't even know the evils that I think about and the bad things that I've done throughout my life a lot of you might be thinking to yourself man if the people in this room knew how bad I really was. Then, man, you even question whether or not God could love you that much to forgive that much sin. In the passages that I put in your notes from Matthew and Luke, it talks about the, same, the types of people that Jesus liked to hang, our, hang around with. Let me just tell you, they weren't the who's who of the day. You think about, let's just go as simple as a tax collector. The Jews hated the tax collectors because they worked for the Romans. The Romans hated the tax collectors because they were Jewish. I mean, these guys were scum to everybody. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to hang out with those guys. As a matter of fact, I'm going to call some to come and follow me. And why? I think one of the biggest reasons is because these men, people, were lonely. They were completely empty on the inside. Billy Baker, Boston Globe magazine, said this. The biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity. It's loneliness. It's a big threat. 
He also wrote a memoir called We Need to Hang Out. And why? Because our world is a very lonely place where we have very surface relationships. And the Bible doesn't point to relationships like that. It says when you look at relationships that focus on self, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to have any type of uh, fruit. It's a lonely place to be. People are very self-absorbed. But Jesus is setting an example to, for us to get out of our little box and to go into the world and to be a friend. Jesus was a friend of sinners. We sang about that a little bit ago. What a friend we have in Jesus. I mean, why should we carry these burdens? Why should we forfeit peace? Why do we willingly carry baggage around when we could take it to the Lord in prayer? That's a question that we should ask ourselves. How we can be a friend of sinners. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus seeks us out. He seeks us out. He wants that relationship with us. And God knew. So how do we do that? How do we get out of our little bubble? How do we find people to invest in? How do we make and build these friendships that we can have? God knew that we would need help. God knew that we would need guidance. He would know that we would need training. So what does he do? He sends us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent as a helper after Jesus' ascension. Uh, when I was a first grader, one of my favorite things that we ever did uh, on, as a first grader is we had fun Fridays is what we called them. And from after lunch, which was about 12.30 until 3.30, we would have fun Fridays. And a lot of the times we had a lot of board games set up. And I love Connect Four. I challenge any of you to Connect Four any day of the week. And I'm about to tell you why. I loved Connect Four as a first grader. And I was terrible at it. Terrible. Awful. I got beat every game. I don't know. Whatever. Um, sometimes I lost when the person only played four checkers. So... That's bad news. Just letting you know. But we had these fun Fridays. And one of, the, one of the things that our school used to do, we, I grew up in a very small town, is that they would send uh, the football team, the cheerleaders, to go to these classrooms and they would play the games with the kids. And there was a man, he was a big man, by the name of Trent. And Trent would always come and stand by me because Trent loved Connect Four too. And Trent chose to stand by me because I was awful at Connect Four. And he wanted to help. So all these guys would be lined up to play me and uh, we would start playing. And then all of a sudden I started listening to Trent. I'd go to make a move and he'd go, uh, uh, uh. I'd pull it back. And I would put it over another spot. Uh-huh. And I would drop it. And I started listening to Trent. And I started winning. I started winning so much that my friends didn't want to play me anymore because they said it wasn't fair that Trent was helping me. But that's what Trent did. He would watch me. 
he would help me. Uh, and we had a great time. I started winning, and I loved it. I thought it was the bla- a blast after that. Uh, why do I tell you that goofy story? Jesus knew that when, we left, when he left us on earth, we, that we would need a helper. So he sends the Holy Spirit. That would be our helper. John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. They tell of Jesus telling his disciples about what would take place After he went back to be with the Father. And in these chapters he explains to his disciples. That it was good that he needed to go away. So that he could send the helper. And the helper was going to. as If you look in John 14 and 16. He says the helper is going to convict the world of sin. The helper would convict about righteousness and judgment. The helper would guide in the truth. The helper would speak to us on behalf of Jesus, who will only tell, he would only tell us what Jesus commanded. Ultimately, the helper uh, would seek to give honor and glory to Jesus. What a friend. Someone to be our helper. Someone to be our guide. Someone to tell us ah, 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 when we start to mess up. Someone that says, mm-hmm, when we do something right. We needed that helper. It's good to have that helper in our life. Next, the Holy Spirit works to bring out the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Before we go too much into that, I just want to remind you. I say it's the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit. Meaning, guess what? You get it all. You don't get to pick and choose what you're good at and what you're not good at. You know, I look at that list. I used to say this to myself all the time. You know, I'm really good at love, loving people and being good to people, but I don't have much patience with people. And self-control, I'm terrible at that one. So I'm just going to focus on the ones that I'm good at and ones I'm not good at. Eh, maybe we can work on it. That's not how it works, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I got them all. We need to remember that when the Holy Spirit works in our life, He's going to bring out that fruit in us. Draws us closer to Jesus. Helps us to be more like Jesus. Helps us to have the ability to bring honor and glory to God with our lives. But he also seeks to point others to Christ through us. Yes, he does convict of sin. He convicts of righteousness and judgment. He guides us in truth. He draws us closer to Jesus. So what do we do with this knowledge about the Holy Spirit? What do we do with these things with Jesus being our friend and dying for us. What do we need to do to become the type of friend that the world needs, the world that we live in? What do we need to do to be that type of a friend? So let's look at this. First of all, we draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James chapter 4. James is given a stern warning about being like the world. He tells us these are some things that you should not be like the world. And earlier in the passage, he even says that, that friendship with the world means that you're an enemy of God. You have enmity between God, you and God. The Bible is very clear in, in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is about as elementary as it can be. But I really want to just... Drive this point home with you. You have to seek after God. 
you must seek to spend time with Jesus every day. I know it's difficult sometimes. We need to be able to go to God in prayer every day. We need to read God's word every day. We need to meditate on God's word. We need to hide God's word in our heart that we may not sin against God. These are all things that we've been commanded. You know, as we're going through Psalm 119, I'm talking with that with the group of guys I meet with on Fridays. We're, uh, it's kind of interesting. I, I look at things and then I get to hear on Sunday what Landon has to say about it. And it's just amazing that over and over and over again, get in God's word, read God's word, meditate on God's word. Your precepts I love, your commands I love. Well, how do you know those things? You spend time with God. You spend time in his word. You spend time reading his word. You know, when I first started dating my wife, I quickly realized that we were about as polar opposite of human beings as we could be. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. You are nothing like your wife. I thank God for that, right? But we didn't have a whole lot in common. Uh, and I started to get to know her, and I found out her likes and her dislikes. And I got uh, to know her a little more. And the things that, were, that I loved most about my wife is that, uh, first of all, she spent time with Jesus every day. Her Bible was worn. I knew that she was praying for me because she would tell me that she was praying for me. She was serving in her church. Those things were just beautiful things about her that I enjoyed so much. Now, now that we are married, and I know her even more, I could tell you even more to the things that she likes and doesn't like. Some of the things like, my wife does not like to get flowers. Zero. It's great for me, right? My wife does not like to get chocolates. I did not say my wife does not like chocolate. I said my wife does not like to get chocolate. Two different things. So if you ever surprise her with chocolate, she'll be really happy. But she doesn't want me sending her chocolate. She's like, I don't need that. If I eat that, i got to run on the treadmill more. Quit it. But I just know her well. I know what she likes, what she doesn't like. I know the types of things she likes because I know that uh, she likes the type of things like making the bed. Emptying the dishwasher. Getting her car washed and filling it up with gas when she doesn't realize it. Oh, that's big brownie points right there. Those are the things that she loves. When we draw close to God, we learn the heart of God. We learn what he likes. We learn what he, what he doesn't like. And it's just a quick reminder. I know we've, I've said this over and over. This takes effort. Training is not easy. It takes practice. It takes effort. It's going to take some time spending intentionally doing these things. We have to do them. It's a discipline. And in addition to that friendship with God, our relationship with God enables us to have authentic friendships with others. Enables us to have authentic friendship with others. If you want to be the best friend in this life, you need to be walking with the Lord. I'm not saying that if you're not walking with the Lord that you can't be a good friend to someone. I'm not saying that. Obviously, you can be a great friend to someone without walking with the Lord. But you can be a better friend as you are walking with the Lord. 
Because you can be the type of friend that someone might need. A friendship that thinks of the Lord first, others second, and yourself last. A friendship like we talked about that lays down his life for a friend. A friend that guides you in the truth. A friend that points people to Jesus. And as I say this, uh, as a side point, I think it's very important for us to have same-sex friendships. I think it's very important for us to have deep, authentic, same-sex friendships. Kent Hughes in the book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, says this. You also need Christian friends who have a same-sex understanding of the serpentine passages of your heart, who will not only offer counsel and pray for you, but will also hold you accountable to your commitments and responsibilities when necessary. Those are the type of deep, authentic friendships that we need in our life. The type of friend that shares the same worldview as you. The type of friend that has the same approach to life as you do. A lot like Jonathan and David. Because those two men answered to the same authority. Those two men knew the same God. They were moving in the same direction. They longed for the same thing. They dreamt mutual dreams. They longed for the same things. That's what this passage means when it says their hearts were knit together. They loved him as himself. Lastly, we need authentic friendships to help push us to do good works. We do need the type of friends that will be like Trent standing behind me and telling me, "Uh, uh, uh, no, no, no. Or yeah, 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 it's a good move. We need those types of people in our life. The types of people that when we're about to mess up, they tell us no. If you don't mind, open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I think this passage really sums up perfectly um, what we've talked about tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. Start reading in verse 19. It says this, Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how we can encourage one another to love and good works. You know, after high school, many of my friends went off to college. And at that time, I didn't even realize that college was, a, was even an opportunity for me. It was even there for, to go. Uh, I just didn't have the same opportunities as a lot of my friends had in life. And there was a family 
uh, that did more for my spiritual growth than anyone ever has before. It was my college Sunday school teacher. Her name was Virginia Higgle. And uh, she was the wife of her husband was the pastor of the church that I was going to in Oklahoma. His name was Tommy. And one of the things that Virginia did often is she would write encouraging notes. She tried to write an encouraging note to every person that was in her Sunday school class at least once a month. So you could almost be guaranteed at least 12 cards a year from Virginia, even on your birthday as well. But she would write these very encouraging notes. Just said, you know what? I want you to know that you're loved and I'm praying for you. And I just want you to have an awesome day. VA. And that's how she would sign it. VA. And she did that for years and years and years. For every person that's ever come through her college class, she's done that. And it's amazing to think of how many people that um, I talk to, and they still have stacks of these cards that Virginia wrote to them. Mark Twain once said this, I can live for two months on a compliment. You might hear this in a few weeks again when we talk about the tongue. You might hear that quote again, but uh, I think it's true. Sometimes it starts with just being a friend. And that starts with just maybe saying a kind word to someone, affirming someone, lifting someone else up. That comes from an overflow of what God is doing in your life. This family would also go on to show me that college was an option. They actually enrolled me in classes. They paid for my classes as I went to a junior college. They gave me a job that I could work through college. They gave me the days off that I needed to go to college. And they made it available for me. And not only did they do that, but they spoke truth and loved me like their own son. And the trajectory of my life has changed forever because of their friendship. We need to have that type of friendship and influence over people in our lives. And I don't care how old or young you are or how little your children are or how old your children are. It's very easy to be nice. It's very easy to lift people up with your words, to speak life to people. However, it has to come from an overflow of what God's already doing in your life. So we have to spend time with him. We have to do the types of things that we need to do to let God pour into us so that we can pour into other people and be that type of a friend for someone else. You know, this ultimately makes me think of the friends that brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Took some pretty bold friends to take their paralyzed friend, to put him on a mat, and to carry him to where there was a crowd. And then they didn't see the crowd as an obstacle. What'd they do? They climbed up on the roof. Then what did they do? They tore a hole in the roof. Then what did they do? They lowered their friend down. That's the type of friends we need to be. That we will pack you up and carry you to Jesus if I have to. And I hope that that's the kind of friend that we are. Uh, so my, friend, my question is, do you have those types of friends? I hope you do. My other question is, are you that kind of a friend? Because I hope that we are striving to be that for others. Jesus modeled it for us, and we need to make it a priority in our life. So let's pray this evening as we wrap up. God, we thank you for giving us an example of what it looks like to be a friend. 
to be able to take a sinful, selfish heart and to be able to transform it into a heart that would carry their friends to Jesus. We thank you for Jesus who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became a servant. And he humbled himself on a cross for sinners. Help us to be a friend to the friendless. I pray that you would remove selfish desires from our heart and give us a heart that seeks to be used by you. I pray that uh, in all of those things, we would seek your kingdom's purpose in this world, that we would be used by you. Help us to be Jesus to other people around us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.